Let's go to space. I'm AK5A. Today I'm talking with Steve Godfrey about his planned 50-state bike tour, the first 10,000 miles of that trip, and some of the interesting and unexpected things he's seen along the way. So far in the show, we've talked primarily to academics about their research and some of the intellectual ideas, as well as larger group actions that people can take. And it was exciting to talk with Steve about the actions of an individual engaging a task and just getting hands-on and getting it done. Without further ado, here's my interview with Steve Godfrey. He starts us off talking about the germ of the idea for the entire tour. I'd say more or less uh, right around the late 90s, uh, uh, I concocted a big plan to move to the Bay Area of California. It was something that I'd wanted to do for years and years, well, four years about, if I remember right. And I lived in New Orleans a couple years at that point, and I just felt like, Man, I am ready to go. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I, I was off on the 11th of May in 97. I took off on a little, what was really a, a small mountain bike, a quality one, is a Cannondale. Um, and I brought a road atlas and a duffel bag and like $200. I got about a week and 500 miles down the road to northeast Texas, and my family helped get me on the bus, and I went the rest of the way. But um, in my mind, through that process uh, of trying to move to San Francisco by bicycle, in the process, somewhere, somehow, it got in my mind how I wanted to do that all around the 48 states. And I don't know exactly why, but I, I just really wanted to see a lot of these various people and places that I had in mind and just also see stuff that I probably, of course, couldn't have imagined, you know, in my ideas of what the 48 states might be like. For some reason, I wanted to see them in a really thorough way. I wanted to go basically in big circles around each state at a time and all of that, and so I never did anything like that until right before it turned 40, it kind of started feeling the uh, the clock ticking along and decided, I think it made those memories resurface about those bike trips, and I was in a place where I had some room to think about it, didn't have that much going on in real life as far as family or anything like that goes, so. Uh, just really got into the idea of doing it again and um, remembered the ideas that I had like 15 years before and was still, found myself still pretty intrigued with the idea of doing it and wound up doing the Texas-Louisiana trip, uh, 5,000 miles, January through April, and in the process, uh Helped uh, raise some money for Livestrong, which was uh, the nonprofit that um, uh, in my friend's obituary, who he had died from cancer at 37 in a, I think 2008, uh, at age 37, it, it was asked that people donate in his name to Livestrong. Evidently, he, he had really got a whole lot of support from that organization. So 
so in the process to live in my my particular dream out there, I thought that would be a uh, uh, some kind of way to pay tribute to to him, um, and it all kind of made sense because I was in Austin where Liz Strong was and all that kind of thing. So, so that that was where I sort of recaptured the the dream from 15 years before and finally put it into practice. Uh, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but a lot of things opened up kind of amazingly and. Uh, it helped me to make it not in a big, uh, really extremely successful way, but enough to get it done. So, and that was uh, in uh, 2010. The the trip, the first, the yeah, the, the first one. Oh, that that was uh, 2012, uh, January through April. Oh, right. On. The, a couple of years ago now, yeah, and then I've done these next couple. Uh, uh, you know, I could let you know about what, whatever about those, but yeah, I've done the yeah, just couple others. Just try those others. real quick, and then we'll okay pepper in details. Okay, and and then basically that, and I think if I remember right, that I had drawn a forty-eight state plan way back when, and, and I think I had this same idea. of and I was basically drawing on what my memories are of that original plan is to, uh, for a few months at a time, to uh, concentrate on whatever number of states that I had come up with to, to roll around during a, few, during a period of some number of months and then take a fairly equal number of months off because I thought it would be good to decelerate from the times that I'm out on the road for months at a time with months off the road. And so basically I went ahead and I wound up doing that again, uh, following through on that particular idea. So after the January 3rd bull in Texas, Louisiana, went ahead and uh, again for Livestrong decided to do uh, six states in mid-America in uh, September through December 2012, uh, the only thing is uh, right in the middle of it, I just about finished Kansas after having done Oakland. I, I'm sorry, Oakland, Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma and... <laughs> A little different. It's sort of the, the contraction of Oklahoma and Kansas. Oakland, Oakland, Oklahoma and Kansas, I, I rolled around those two states uh, between fit timber and virtually all of Kansas during mid-October, but right around that time, my dad himself was diagnosed with cancer, so I uh, just, uh, you know, trying to make the big decision on what I was supposed to do, I decided on uh, postponing the tour to go whatever date in the future, maybe a year from there, and going back to hang with dad for a while, and He's fortunately uh, in a lot better shape than he than he was uh, at, at that time where I postponed the tour, which was basically October 2012. Uh, he had a big surgery right after that that was really helpful in eliminating a lot of the problem, and and subsequent treatments uh, seemed to do what they were supposed to do. And so 
now he's basically in remission phase and uh he, he's getting uh checkups with through the VA every few months now and in a fairly stable phase uh which is kind of amazing considering the shape that he was in initially after the initial diagnosis and so after it looked like he was fairly stabilized I decided to go ahead and resume the tour which was four more states Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas a year after I had uh, discontinued it like basically took it up where I left off a year later right outside Kansas City, Kansas uh, did that little bit of Kansas and rolled all around Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas except this time I'm made the rest of the uh, benefit for dad this time because he doesn't have very much of anything. He's a, he's an old uh, newspaper composition guy, uh, no pensions or anything like that. He never was paid a whole bunch and uh, retired now, of course, uh, turned 69 a few months ago and uh, just uh Definitely needed help to, to just make the trips to his appointments that are scheduled for uh, every few months now. And so, so as I resumed, I transferred the uh, benefit energy into trying to help him out uh, with the re- remainder of that tour that I originally planned for fall 2012. And so, so yeah, I was just able to finish that uh, New Year's um, covered in Missouri. Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, and it was about 30, right under 3,600 miles on that portion. The Oklahoma, Kansas portion was right under 2,000 miles. So combining the two uh, portions of that originally planned six-state tour, it wound up being about 5,500 miles on that one. So, so that's where we're about. I have plans to do more uh, around still 40 more states to go <laughs> so we'll see how that goes but hopefully every every other four months uh bit by bit uh i have a plan all all in the general sense uh uh all spelled out for myself and i'm uh i guess just going to see how well i do it following through and getting it done so that's awesome I may swing around and try to goad you to tell me what's next here in a bit. But when you travel, what do you actually, what's your sort of gear situation look like? Right. The, uh, the stuff that I bring along, I, I feel like I'm pretty good ordinarily at being a minimalist, minimalist but uh, it seems like um, I wind up having the stuff in 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 my uh, trailer, it, it's basically a little two wheel trailer. It hooks up from the back bicycle wheel bolt. It's a little arm that connects the little trailer, and it's actually been a really good one. I think the one I have has been about ten thousand miles now, um, as as of the end of the last trip. And we'll put a little picture of it up on the site. Oh, cool! Yeah, and uh, so in in the the trade that the cargo is basically. Uh, what I try to do is just have uh, uh, most uh, reasonably minimal amount of clothes and bicycle type accessories, tubes and tools and stuff like that in there. Um, um, but yet, 
every time I look at it from the outside, I'm wondering what am I carrying in there that's so heavy. I think I think it winds up being basically about thirty pounds a year, almost no matter how hard I try to keep it down. The the issue with the last trip, I think part of the weight at least that can account for uh, me not being as minimal as I like to be is uh, I tried to pack in enough gear to measure for going through a whole lot of uh, cold sets of circumstances in uh, mid-America in uh, in the late months of fall, getting in towards winter. Uh, and sure enough, there were plenty cold days. Uh, so I did the best I could. It wound up being some of the coldest circumstances I even had ever faced in a even though I'm uh, 41, I've not really been in cold circumstances like that very much at all, if ever. Uh, Kentucky in November even was a uh, that was one of the days where I started off at 19 degrees. So, so much different world. I've hardly ever experienced 19 degrees in the middle of winter. But, um, but luckily that stuff that I brought seemed to make me feel comfortable enough most every day. And so, so yeah, if it, if it wasn't for trying to be prepared for cold weather circumstances, then I, I probably would have done a little better. might have been able to shed another five to eight pounds. But, um, but, but it was worth it, it you know, the, the comfort level because uh, – it's it it was it was severe uh as far as the the cold weather goes so so whenever i would haul the trailer up a really steep mountain like 3 or 4 miles over the course of an hour it it made me feel better whenever i'd remind myself that i'm carrying all that stuff to not freeze to death so, so <laughs> that was that was kind of the scenario for this trip it was constantly reminding me I reminded myself that the uh, reason I have so much stuff uh, I'm hauling along is because uh, because it's yeah. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to like cold weather gear and uh, bike tubes and uh, basically repair supplies, I well, do you do your own repairs on the side of the road in, in general? I've been really, really lucky that I haven't had that come up too much. I'm, I'm a very basic repairs guy. I'm not capable of getting uh, a whole lot of sophisticated repairs done that might spring up. Like, uh, I'm pretty much uh, out of luck if I have a gear cable or something like that snap on me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty okay at uh, changing flats and that kind of thing. But luckily, out of the three tours, three times around out there, it's been about 10,600 miles now altogether. And I think as far as bicycle tire flats go up on the highway itself, I, I, I had one on this last trip. In Texas, I had a little eight of them before I got a super, super duper tire, and that was early on in the Texas-Louisiana trip. It was somewhere in Texas. I had a real problem one day. I had to uh, 
six, three or four flats. But within a few days, I invested my meager budget into getting uh, uh, a much better back tire, and that one didn't have a flat for about 14 months, 9,000 miles. And right <laughs> to start an Oklahoma, Kansas trip, I got a front tire, same type model, uh, and that one also almost exactly the same performance, uh, high standard of performance, about 9,000 miles, 14 months before I had a flat. And that one actually exploded uh, about six miles into Kentucky on this trip. <laughs> it was this one and only flat. It, it literally went out with a bang. I mean, I heard the bang of, of it going out. Like it, it was finally just telling me, enough of this, dude. I'm done. It, it's finally done with it. I mean, it did way too much. I, I pushed it as much as I, I, as I could. And, uh, yeah, I definitely regret not having, <laughs> uh, having, uh, a substitute for it ready. But, but, you know, I've been lucky many, many times. And sure enough, that luck came through again on that particular day in a big way. I had a host lined up in Paducah, and right before my phone went out, I was able to get a text off to a number of people that they had referred me to as an alternative host because that's all I could get off my phone at the moment in that five minutes I had to work with. And sure enough, they they uh, as soon as they finally recognized me, they said, oh, it's you. We'll be out there. And so 20 miles down the road, they came in and, uh, about an hour or so later and hauled me into Paducah. Very, very, very luckily. I, I'm not sure what I would have done otherwise. Real question mark, what would have happened? It's a that real, was question. really rural stretch out there where I was. So. I was also wondering about a combination of, of like, do you take any survival gear with you, like water purifiers and that kind of stuff, or do you tend to kind of use little points of civilization as your your resource point. Um. I I definitely lean lean on civilization. I, I um on, on this trip but I, I never had a, a need for them. About as um deep into survival gear that I got was uh had a few of the the bigger light sticks and things like that and uh just from because I'm, I really feel like I'm very much a link as an amateur still on these sort of efforts, and so I'm, I'm still sort of learning about packing things in different places. I, I think I got more strategic with where I pack bags in the trailer for you know easier access to uh, more of the emergency type items. I tried to have uh, backpack front and center at the front of the of the trailer to have easy access to things like first aid kits, the light sticks, um, fuel, things like that. But uh, as far as like venturing out into the, you know, vast wilderness uh, in, in a big way, I'd, I definitely wasn't doing that. So my, my, my goal on this trip, I, I didn't really state earlier, um, uh, Back when I first had the idea, I, I come up with the number of days that uh, I tried to uh, bicycle in each state by sort of mashing together the 
the population and the land area numbers. So my dual purpose is to see the land, but also the people. So, so by virtue of that, I'm, I'm usually around some decent bit of people just by virtue of the, the goals that I set to where I'm never too far outside of civilization for too long. Um, for sure, by far the longest I was really, really out there was West Texas, where my <laughs> friend John Martin was actually with me. Uh, luckily, uh, he just I didn't ask him at all to do any ride. He, on his own, volunteered to ride with me, and he picked exactly West Texas to to do that with me. Uh, and so I, he he actually was a pretty decent bit of mechanical help with uh, a few uh, trailer tire flats and things like that on, on the road, luckily. Again, that luck comes through. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, we were we were both out there and just, for me, previously unimaginable desolation. But uh, I never felt extremely uncomfortable. I think it slowly grinded me down that particular experience of just being in the midst of so much of a, a lack of signs of regular civilization. It, it, it was off-putting. I'd never experienced such a thing for... Um, it was basically about two weeks, about 800-something miles uh, of West Texas, down in the Big Den, which was also even more desolate, even for West Texas. Um, uh it, it's really hard to describe that experience. There was a whole lot of um, positives in, in a way to that experience. But, uh, but as far as my preparation goes for those circumstances, uh, I probably could have said to be a little bit more organized and probably should have. I, I wouldn't recommend that people go out into such desolate landscapes with as little as I did, but in my mind, for my purposes, I was just interested in, like, sort of in the same way as a young 25-year-old back then. I, I, I just thought it was time to go. <laughs> and so at age 40, there I was again. I, was, I think I was thinking a little bit at like a 25-year-old, but with the main difference being I tried to build for this that particular ride. Um much more so than I did for the other one, a little bit more and, and all that kind of thing. And got at least a little bit better, but I still have a whole lot of learning to do. And, and I would like to get better at um, being more accurately prepared for a um, more of a, of a lacking situation where I uh, don't have too many traditional resources to draw from. Uh, but, uh, I mean, primarily in my mind, I, I, I do think that'd be an interesting thing, but primarily in my mind is I just want to go to where the people and, and, uh, places are primarily. And sometimes that does include big, vast national parks, but, uh, usually it does include at least a decent bit of civilization, uh, uh at least at the end of each day. I'm usually in some town of, Five to ten thousand people, and you tend to take uh, 
from a technology standpoint, uh, like communications and whatnot, you take a, a third generation iPhone with you. Yeah, real basic right? iPhone for yeah, yeah. Actually, referred to the 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 maps, uh, old standbys, Google Maps, and uh, and it, it's some Sundays are really easy in the sense that it's just this one highway, just direct connection from one uh, one town to the next town, fifty, sixty miles down the road, uh, but. Um, sometimes there's no real way to do that. And so in that same span of mileage, I find myself having to really constantly refer to the map. And and that that can be kind of challenging. I mean, it, it affects my time, especially on this last trip. It got dark really, really early a few times. Uh, if I was on the eastern side of the time zone in November, December, out in Tennessee or Kentucky, it was literally getting dark at sundown was 4.30 and, you know, things like that. And so, so there's naturally pressure to not dilly-dally on the maps too long, but um, uh, in those cases. But, uh, yeah, it affects your time um, and, uh, and and the power on your phone whenever, whenever you're relying on those instruments to, to be your guides. Out there, which I which I was, um, uh, and part of the reason why I'm pretty reliant on on the the phone it, um, is I find it's a lot easier to just sort of like go right out uh, right right to the screen and sort of punch it up real quick. Versus with the the, the maps, uh, I have so much trouble like keeping things organized in the trailer and. And all that kind of thing, and it takes a little bit of effort to get off of the bike and get down to the trailer, uh, get to wherever the map is, unzip this or that. Um, and also weather-wise, I've had all. It's very hard so far with the system that I've had uh, to uh, protect paper from the elements. I've, I've had a whole lot of paper um, get destroyed by, you know, just. Uh, decent bit of rainstorm. It's just the nature of my particular trailer. There's a lot of uh, positive things about that trailer, but one negative thing for sure is uh, it's not really weather all weatherproof back there. And so, so uh, I've actually literally had maps that I happen to pick up here and there, like a state map or something like that, uh, totally melt in uh, rainstorms. And, <laughs> So, so that that was sort of a problem that, that uh, you know, pretty much able to get around as far as uh, you know, when I'm able to use a smartphone instead, I'm able to circumvent all that. But uh, yeah, when you have to, when you're out there and you can't recharge the phone, I I haven't done my homework and looked into recharging as I go uh, sort of capabilities. I'm sure they're out there at this point and. But so far, I, I rely on places of business usually or the places that have stayed at the end of the day to recharge. And on the road, it's just, in general, the battery goes down. And every time that I refer to the map, it, it'll it uh, take that much uh, more power off of it. But, yeah, it's all about whether or not the direct route or not. Like if it's that one road or two turns versus sometimes there's no way around seven or eight turns from one town to 
to the town that you're getting to that day. And these are all state highways, basically, that you're using? Yeah, the, the it's, it's a, it, it, it can be a real hybrid of almost everything but interstates, pretty much. Uh, the, the one big exception where, uh, we, we were on interstate was, uh, when, when John and I were doing that last leg of, uh, West Texas, and then me, as I, because John stopped at El Paso and I continued on eastward up, Used I-10 again, uh, going east for a little while. Uh, but US-90 literally merges into I-10 and you have almost no other option other than, at least for a while, to go down the interstate. So, uh, from everything I gathered, it is an understood rule to where you just use that, you can use that route for that period of time for, for that particular portion of roadway and as far as Texas goes, but but besides that, I've, I think I've never had even the opportunity to use interstates because, you know, the other states, you, you always have some other route outside the interstates anyway to get to, to where you're going, and, um, you know, it, it, it's basically anything but interstates. I, I basically <laughs> tried to get the most direct route with the least amount of traffic and just try to formulate a, the best route that I can based on trying to avoid the craziest traffic yet has enough space to ride it. Uh, I'll, I'll take a really, really busy road if it has a shoulder versus a, uh, a moderately busy road without a shoulder if it's fairly close by. So, so, so it, it can be kind of difficult based on the values that I have on, for a route, uh, how to construct it exactly for a particular day's trip. But, but it's, it's a hodgepodge of, it, it can wind up being anything from farm roads to, to, uh, U.S. highways. How do you determine what has a shoulder and what doesn't? That's a good there. question. I, I actually, for a while, I, <laughs> when I first started the, the, these trips, I, I think I was a little bit more pure technical about my, uh, like I really didn't want to take rides from people like, like help, uh, uh, even at the end of the day. But I really got relaxed with that at this point. I, I I've really lost track how many times I was rescued at the end of the day on this last trip. Um, even though I did accumulate 3,600 miles, like well over my goal and everything, I, I must have been transported hundreds of miles, uh, especially at the end of the day by a uh, host that uh, would pick me up uh, at the end of the day because they'd offer to go ahead and pick me up because I'm still out there <laughs> trying to get to to where they're at in the dark in, on a bad traffic trafficy road but but basically the way I, uh i i sort of like survey the scene before i get there is good old google maps I, I just uh go to the street view and look at um just take oh. little snapshots and right samples on. and try to uh assess best i can like, like it naturally, so many of these roads, 
they fluctuate. They, they can fluctuate wildly within sometimes 10, 15 mile stretches, shoulders in and out, in and out. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times it depends on the uh, population centers, like how close they are to a city that's this big or that big. And uh, uh, so, so basically, um, I just take the best samples that I can. I'll take a like a little snapshot. Because of course I can't just go down the road real fast and on the on the Google Maps Street View and get a 15 mile snapshot real quick. So so what I do I just try to take like a snapshot here, then maybe a few more miles down the road. And if I if I get three snapshots over a course of uh, three, three snapshots over 30 40 mile. Uh, patch of uh of that particular stretch of uh roadway and it's got a shoulder then i think to myself well that's that's got to be pretty safe the shoulder's probably there for the most part so so uh depending on if it's going pretty directly to my destination for the for the day or at least the midway point to the destination uh then uh you know likely wind up Taking that route just based on it's it's Google Maps just uh, let, letting me uh, get some peeks into what I'm looking at. And at first I was kind of thinking, man, I'm kind of cheating by doing that. But at this point I'm like, no, 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 that that is totally above board. That's <laughs> that's well within the playing rules to to go ahead and get little snapshots. What well, seems uh, like I mean, with, for for you, it's a it, you have this very specific goal of seeing, you know, the people in the land, um, and the the bike on the one hand is a is a vehicle. You know, it's just, that's all it is. But it gives you a more intimate portrait of what you're around. Um, so the idea of getting rides here and there, or using technology to make sure you the few like the fewest number of problems with with that particular mode of transportation isn't you're not a purist, I guess is the term you mentioned earlier. It's like you're right. Yeah. It's more about there's a there's a different goal than just I'm gonna do this entirely on a bicycle. Um right. But um and you have a your your actual day to day lifestyle involves being on a bike as well. Yeah, as of this January, uh, I've, I would say at least 90% of the years, as of this January, uh, 90% of the years of, um, 90% of the time during those years, of these 19 years, I've uh, made a living and commuted by bicycle. My vehicle has primarily been a bicycle. I've most all that time, um, uh, you know, there's a few snippets here and there where I had access to a car that I would use periodically, but I never entirely eliminated a uh, bicycle from day-to-day life, uh, I don't think, for, for 19 years now. Uh, for little spells post-Katrina, when I lived in North Louisiana for uh, about five years in my hometown of Alexandria, Pineville, and then for three years, and then uh, in Shreveport 
for two years, 08 to 2010. Um, I sometimes it, uh, in in both of those places at, at various times I would I would have car access, and so I'd bring that to where I was working that day. And, uh, but I would have the bicycle hooked up to the back, and I would use the bicycle where I worked. And basically, basically my work is uh, just uh, covering uh, well advertising flyer advertising routes, and so the routes themselves I would still cover by bicycle, even if I got to the particular site I was working at by car. So, um, but still, like I say, I, I think safe estimate to say that about 90% of the last 19 years has been commuting and working and living whatever living I do outside of working uh, 19 years uh, it's pretty much all been by bicycle and so so yeah it's, it's really just feels absolutely natural if anything it's uh, uh, maybe it's even a crutch that I live on a bicycle so much it's just something that's uh, just become such a part of my body in a, in a way it, it feels like to, and, and it's it's really in, in, in a weird way it's hard to relate to the world that doesn't live by bicycle um, um, it's, it's, it's just something that before you knew it there I was 19 years on a bicycle and so yeah, yeah, there I am. Uh, uh, lived on a bicycle on, on these road trips, and then yeah, like you like you brought up, uh, I've actually lived on a bicycle out way before and uh, during the road trips and everything. So it's just something that that that's why I think for me for the road trips uh, it didn't feel like that big a deal for me personally, whereas a lot of people I know. Uh, felt like it was because I looked at the the mileage I do by living on a bicycle uh, between the commutes and the work that I do during the day and everything. It, uh, it's a really wild estimate on my part that some people think I estimate low when I figure I do about 15 miles a day, but I think it's like 15 to 20 something miles a day. 15, excuse me, 15 to 20 miles per day that I do living on a bicycle in town day to day and the road trip days it's basically about double that average uh forty to fifty miles a day on the uh on the road trips for you know a course of a few months at a time. So of course there's all sorts of challenges inherent in a road trip versus having a place the same old place to go to at the end of the day each day and all that kind of thing. But as far as the bicycling aspect of it goes, it's uh it's uh it's definitely a bit more bicycling but um it's not uh that doesn't seem beyond the scope of reason based on my personal experience of riding a pretty good bit on the bike anyway for all these years. So I was gonna ask you just for a quick PSA. Uh do you wear a helmet? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I went, uh, quite a few years without, um, doing it. I've just been thinking about it a whole bunch one way or another and somewhere, I don't know exactly where it was. I just finally just kind of decided that 
it would be a better thing to to do. It, it might might be because I got to be more of a fatherly age or something like that, and I started thinking about. I, I think I became more conscious of uh, kids seeing me, uh, and you know what what I was doing. I noticed that kids seemed to notice you being on a bicycle and all that, and um, so. It, Somewhere, just sort of spontaneously, gradually, it seemed like my consciousness grew about how I looked at kids and the modeling that I was doing, whether I liked it or not, just by being outdoors on a bicycle. Uh, four kids, like, they, they were noticing what I was doing. And so, since that was going to be the case, whether I liked it or not, I figured, well, that's good enough reason for me to go ahead and get into wearing a, a helmet all the time. And and in general, I think as I grew older, I started thinking about uh, also just for myself, uh, safety issues, just start thinking that, well, I, I don't know exactly what this helmet would do in the case of some sort of accident, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I figured right. just in case, you know, I, you know, I don't know what, you know, would actually happen if I had a helmet versus if, if I didn't have a helmet, but I figure at the very least it's probably not extremely uh, uh, it couldn't possibly be that much worse of a scenario if I go ahead and wear a helmet. Uh, <laughs> so, so I figure In general, you know, I'm 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 an advocate for public safety and and all that kind of thing. And although I didn't think about it that much in a big way for many years, more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I can do that. I, I I guess you know it seems okay enough to to me. I mean, I I, I don't necessarily fault people who don't uh, bike with a helmet based on whatever their personal preferences are, but uh, I, I figure that especially, you know, for kids or even people that are just starting off bicycling, it's probably not a bad thing to do. It, it's really painless. It, it really doesn't, you know, uh, it's, you know, wh- whatever coal points are knocked off, according to some people, if, if you wear a helmet versus not wearing a helmet, or maybe some people think that, Wearing a helmet's cool or, or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but uh, but but as far as I'm concerned, I, I think it's more than well worth it. You, you know, uh, and and I, I definitely think you shouldn't you should not not wear a helmet if I'm saying that right, just to impress others. <laughs> I, I think you should. Oh yeah. Definitely consider wearing a helmet. Uh, I think it's definitely much more worth it to go ahead and, and put the helmet on it. And like I say, it's really not something that hurts uh, your pride or anything else very, very much at all. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely for, I'd say, it must have been about five years. Uh, I think ever since Katrina, uh, when I started living in areas right after where I lived in New Orleans for quite a few years, I started thinking about, well, these people aren't used to bicycles as much. If I remember right, I think that's about when I decided to start 
wearing a helmet on a regular basis and pretty much have ever since. And I personally would recommend it. Uh, right on. I think it would be a good idea for all people of uh, various skill levels. And like I say, none of us know exactly, uh, know in the case of an accident how well it would perform, but it's bound to be a more benefit than, uh, than risk uh, to go ahead and just pop the helmet on, you know, for sure. That's I, I, I forgot what the, anyway. <laughs> there's a term in economics for something that provides some peace of mind, and I can't remember uh, what it is, but, yeah, it's basically a, a peace of mind calculation. Um, right, right. So I think um, I think if we include a few pictures of you with your gear, we'll kind of cover that, and I, I know you've got some good pictures of some of these different landscapes you're in. Um, do you want to uh, just pick a few of the kind of interesting people you've met along the road or pick a couple and we'll just kind of describe, like, people you've run into that you wouldn't have seen under any other circumstance? Right, yeah. Yeah, the, the people, um, there's a, as far as the, you know, I, I try to set up um, uh Places to stay on the road. Um, uh, I'd, I'd be really. Uh, I, I, I should really not forget to mention big thanks to the hosts and and the networks themselves. Uh, Couchsurfing.org, which is a reciprocal uh, travel hosting site, which I guess a lot of people are probably familiar with, but. Uh, basically, I've, I've relied on that service a, a whole lot, couchsurfing.org, and that's usually people I've never met before. And uh, also, warmshowers.org, that's basically the bike tour hosting version of uh, of of a hosting network. Where basically, if you're in town, you might want to check check with the people in that town to see if they're available for hosting, and then. Uh, reciprocally, they'll maybe call you if they look you up and find you when they're in a particular town. And so, so you probably get the gist of the idea of how, how it works. So it's a, it's a little bit of a novel concept, uh, but getting more and more familiar. I think both of those networks have grown exponentially over the last few years. So more and more people are getting familiar with it, but, uh, be glad to answer further questions about it, but but it's a great network. I owe, I owe a whole lot actually to to those particular networks, the networks themselves and the hosts that have been extraordinary for me just over and over again. I'm, I'm sure I've I've realized count, but I'm sure it must have been over a uh, well over a hundred hosts that I've had, maybe even a hundred fifty or so at this point through those two networks. And so, uh, so as far as the people that I meet on the road, uh, uh, some, uh, a lot of the hosts might not be in, some of the hosts might not be in those networks that, you know, because I looked up friends and relatives and things like that where I can. Uh, and then there's the hosts, like I've been talking about, that, uh, turn out to be interesting people in really big ways many, many times over. Um, and then there's, of course, the people that you meet uh, midway, uh, like on on the road, 
uh, I'll uh, I'll just come across numbers of people over and over again because you're you're this really strange looking entity. Even for big cities, you, you stand out a little bit, and uh, so man, it is really difficult to try to come up with. I mean, my mind just swans with so many people, and it tries to start thinking about standout uh, encounters with uh, people. I, I mean, it sort of bottles my own mind now to try to go over 10,000 miles of experiences of people. Sadly, I've forgotten just countless numbers of them, you know, naturally, unfortunately, over all this time. But many, many, many of them, vast majority... This is hopefully at least a uh, general take-home message that that I have about it is vast majority, very friendly, very helpful, very generous um, over the eight states that I've been, over the 10,000 miles that I've met people. um, It's it's definitely eye-opening, and even for a person like me who had a fairly decent perspective on uh, humanity whenever you get down to just trying to, when you really meet a person, person to person, and you actually get a chance to calmly talk with one another. I have faith that most people are really pretty good when you're able to communicate uh, on a even wavelength type of situation. And But even for me, I'm been surprised over and over again at the extent to which uh, people really just open their minds and hearts to to what I'm doing and just uh, feeling moved to help me out and and all that kind of thing and just appreciating me even if they were scared and confused by what I was doing at first. <laughs> but then the context <laughs> of a few minutes, they'll suddenly turn around and realize what I'm doing and process it. And then within a few minutes, they're uh, converts to to what I'm trying to do just by virtue of learning about it and experiencing what I'm saying. And, uh, but, uh, it's a great question about like which people stand out. I mean, well, I can probably refer people to your, to the books that you do for each one of these, and I know you document a uh, a few of these encounters uh, well, well, in there. So, shot, I, I could give you. I mean, it, it just sort of for whatever reason it popped in my head real real quick. As far as just like an interesting, just amazing encounter. So many of these things are unplanned. So many of these people, of course, are people I never had anything to do with before. Uh, one one encounter was a uh, you no. Know, uh, I think around the 5th or 6th, I, I want to say 6th of September, right as I started the Oklahoma trip, going way out in the country, you know, you know, it's naturally, a, you know, sometimes it can be a, the scenery in certain situations can be just sort of mundane, like you just sort of get used to it, particular terrain, and you just sort of zone out and don't think about too much, and and so that's kind of what was happening a little bit that particular day, September 6th in Oklahoma. And again, this is just a random snapshot that just kind of surfaced in my mind just now. Um, but it, it was, it was a, it was a really cool encounter to me. Um, and is 
right at the end of the day, I'm going down this really rural route. These people live in, it's basically unpaved, sort of rubbly road, but not too rubbly to where I wasn't able to keep on bicycling along. Uh, it was uh, bicycle-friendly enough kind of roadway to where I could sort of inch my way down the road at a decent little pace anyway. And uh, on the way, it's just really confusing. Uh, my good old um, reliance on the smartphones isn't helping because the signal is not really anywhere around this particular area. And so I'm having trouble figuring out exactly where I'm at. But uh, I have, have it in my head that I think I'm pretty close by but this really confusing rural road map setting, you know, uh, with no real signals to uh, draw upon uh, as far as, like, trying to get some smartphone help. So, sure enough, I, I did see a landmark that my host had told me about that let me know I was pretty close by. And oddly enough, amazingly enough, uh, the, these people happen to be walking out on what, if I remember right, was a, a weekly walk that they did. And they happen to be embarking out of their off of their grounds right as I was showing up in into the neighborhood. And what it was was this in the middle of this really sort of mundane rural landscape. It's this little not that this is super exciting to most people, but it was a monastery. <laughs> it was a just a sort of like a traditional uh I think it was probably like uh Catholic faith-based monastery. I don't know too much about monasteries, but I think it's safe to say it was some sort of version of a Christian monastery. And it was uh, men. Uh, some of them didn't seem to even be quite as old as me. It seemed like it might have been, you know, for people in training or what. But anyway, I, I just all of a sudden, here I am. Even though I was told that this monastery was nearby, I didn't think I was going to have such a close encounter with it. But Sure enough, these people, it was about a group of 12, somewhere around 12, maybe 20 of them, and they were all really friendly and just sort of like, oh, there's a guy on a bike in a trailer, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, well, hi, how are you doing, bike person? Uh, it's kind of what I thought. They, you know, they, they weren't, they didn't seem extremely surprised by it, but uh, the older, one of the older guys who seemed like he might have been more of a, uh, authoritative type figure in the group, uh, verified for me, uh, which way to go to reach my host that day. And so, you know, in, in, in its own way, it, it was, it was a fascinating, it was absolutely fascinating encounter. I thought it was really neat to happen to come across them right on this, uh, occasion where they happen to venture out once a week and, and they happen to be there to help me to get to this place that was really hard to find and uh, so that's one little snapshot anyway of, uh, that might be a little bit more interesting than other occasions on, on my bike trips as far as like uh, meeting people but, but yeah like you say that there's lots more uh, that be glad to go into further uh, uh, in in other venues, you know, because I know we have limited time on this episode here.
Yeah, I was going to see. I actually, I think we're kind of getting close to the end, but I wanted to. I guess the one question that I kind of had for you was, I think you kind of answered it a little bit with the idea that the people are they're 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 very gen, they're much more generous than than even an optimist would realize. Um, but if there were any other sort of sort of like spiritual or sort of psychological takeaways from from the, the travels you've done so far. Um, that, yeah, uh, and I'll, uh, it's really hard for me to be brief, but uh, I think I can do it. <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you might have just really opened the Pandora's box. Um, but, uh, two, well, just right off the top two occasions, uh, wrote, wrote, I'll do my best, like I said, uh, to try to describe this without too much flourishing detail, because I could really go go off on it in a book that I wrote on the Oklahoma trip. But this one day took seven or eight pages, and mo- most days usually it will fit in a uh, a page or two. But um, it was just the the day I, I was heading to Okeem, Oklahoma, the hometown of Woody Guthrie, big hero for me, and. Uh, just the the climactic uh, phenomena that day to me was a little bit miraculous. Basically, the the setting is uh, the like the fourth or fifth day of literally bicycling through a hundred degree weather for forty to fifty miles a day, uh, and vast majority of each day was, if not at a hundred. Uh, would creep into a hundred at least sometime during the day. Um, and so, you know, just so brutal four or five days of this, just thoroughly worn out every mental, spiritual possible kind of way. And so here, here I am on the way to Akima and same old scenario. I'm just getting battered again, cumulatively, <laughs> just feeling it over the course of four or five days. And, uh, so, and my routine each time is to take 40, every 45 minutes to an hour, I reach another little bitty store in this rural landscape. I fill my water bottle with ice, and I go to the next shop, and by the time I get there, the bottle of ice, I don't have a good scientific thermos, and so it's hot water. <laughs> the ice is hot water by the time I get to the next place down the road, and out. Uh, over the course of the next hour that I get to the next store. So that went on three or four times around like that, first three or four hours of the day. And somewhere around midday, I uh, got to another little store, went through the routine of replacing the the hour-old ice that was now hot water. Um, and except this time, right before I got to that place, I noticed really big, billowy, clouds of blackness in the sky all over the place. It almost looked tornadic or something. And uh, so I was able to get in. It was really spooky looking because we don't have such things really transpire in Louisiana so much. And so where where I grew up. <laughs> yeah. like this, this was, uh, that, that, that looked like Wizard of Oz to me. You know, and so I was like, man, I, I, I'm, I don't know what is afoot with that. So 
got into this place right before the system, whatever it was, crashed down. Fifteen, fifteen minutes or so, it just like big goalie washer, and then it was pretty much done. And almost right then, uh, I look out the window of this little place that I had fortunately sheltered in during all that, and there was a double rainbow outside, which you know that's that's not extremely odd. Rainbows are pretty rare, but they do tend to happen after a, after a rain and all that. But uh, pretty cool though. Yeah, it's still great, but you know, and that would have been enough for me, you know. Uh, you know, that just like anything at this point would have been great <laughs> after all the hardship <laughs> of, of those three or four days. But then, just that the, there was this, the, I think it was just like the little guy who owned the place, you know, it was basically him and family members, friends or something that were in this place when I was in there. He just comes in and his little country accent, he just says, uh, well, Looks like it got cooler outside. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out what that could mean because I haven't seen the temperature go below 90 during the daylight for a week or, or nearly a week. And so I'm like, well, what what exactly does he mean by And when I went out there, I felt like it was chilly, you know, and so I, I checked what the temperature was and, when I went into that door, it was 100 degrees, and within this maximum half an hour later, uh, when I checked the temperature, it was 80 degrees, and I don't remember that happening very much where I'm from, you know, and so that, that was pretty cold, too, but, you know, and that's still not really crazy strange, but I think the thing that just pushed it over the edge in a big way is uh most of all these days I was also facing pretty pretty decent headwinds and so all of a sudden aftermath of this weird spooky black cloud system there's now we have the double rainbow the temperature dropped one degree per minute and now the instead of facing yet another headwind like it had been for days 10 15 miles an hour each day going up rolling hills, up and down, up and down rolling hills the whole way. It was a fierce tailwind of 15 to 20 miles an hour. I looked in stunned silence at my flag on, on my back of my trailer flowing vigorously with me now. <laughs> Even though I, I didn't, I wasn't on the bike, I was just sitting there looking at the, at the flag and just Total stunned disbelief. Uh, and so, so we got the three elements, the double rainbow, the, the extreme temperature drop, and the wind totally at my back. And it's really, it's just hard to describe the sensation of witnessing even one of those things, much less three of those things after so much hardship the last, the three four previous days of dealing with really challenging climate circumstances. So I got back on the bike, just like sort of scared by how everything seemed to be going my way. And as I got back on the bike, for the first time in the whole trip of four or five days, I didn't have hills in front of me. 
<laughs> the, the, hills, <laughs> the hills even disappeared. I, I, I was I was almost to the point of like, um, you know, uh, considering this as being the miracle of the removal of the hill <laughs> that ordinarily would have been there, you know, except for the right. miracle of grace that was bestowed upon me by forces I couldn't understand. And I remember wanting to lay an offering of gratefulness at at the altar of whatever this was. And I didn't I knew it had to be something and I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and I went ahead and uh, just just breathed and went ahead and just wild eyed, just went ahead and rolled with it, getting helped what by what felt like angels. Uh, very cold feeling, 80 degrees, and the 15, 20 mile an hour, hour fierce tailwind, and and suddenly the terrain for the first time in the trip loses its hills. All at the same time, on the way to Okima, I get to a road that's so quiet I don't even recognize it as much. I mean, so much when I first get to it. The folks at that place had told me about it to keep an eye out for it, but then I noticed it. Uh, I passed it up because it was so quiet. It goes right next to what I think was the interstate road to Oklahoma City, not too, too far away, and, you know, plenty of traffic on that big interstate ramp in the distance, but so I backtracked and realized, wait a minute, this is my road, and it's almost totally quiet, parallel with it. Uh, it's basically the old road that probably was trafficked a bit in the old days, but just now it's uh, some farms and uh, small houses and stuff that, that's on this particular road, and that's it. Just extremely peaceful, and it slowly goes uphill, but it doesn't matter because the the tailwinds are so good, I feel like I'm not even using energy to pedal up these hills. So I, I feel like I'm getting, again, the angels, since I feel like angels are pushing me up. To, um, that, that's just the sensation of what, what's going through my mind at the moment. And in the distance, it's toward the end of the day, I saw like what I figured must have been hundreds of variations of beautiful sunsets out there where Okima was in the distance. Just... Uh, slowly transforming into all these various colors and different scenarios of sun colors going down at the end of the day in the west as I was heading west at the at the end of this day. It seemed like it had so many miracles. And to sort of cap it all off right before I get to a team of some, as I'm rolling down this amazingly, mysteriously peaceful road, uh, right next to the road that's totally busy. I was like, man, I really, I really probably could stand to go to the bathroom. A few miles down the road, on the right side of the road that I'm going on, right on, right on the side of the road, no construction side around. There's an outhouse sitting right there. <laughs> Nothing else around but that outhouse. <laughs> I've got I've got pictures to document this even. I uh, I got to send those. Yeah, yeah, I've got to got to pick that. I got the bike to 
take a picture with the outhouse and everything. But and then I got into town, a lovely, lovely, sweet, sweet folk singing gal, um, Susan Herndon, took me in for the night, was networked with her by my uh, host from the previous night over there, host to the monastery, and sweet as could be. And so I got to stay at Woody Guthrie's hometown with a wonderful folk singer gal for the night. It was just nice as could be. I met her at a gig that she had in this impossibly small town with no people even watching it, really. (laughs) (laughs) And this great big cavernous place that evidently was the big department store of the area back in the old days. And uh, just blocks away from where Susan lived was the, the spot where Woody was born and grew up. And it was a, an old, dead tree carved uh by, by a little folk artist who lived across the street from it, uh in into the into the deadwood, uh this land is your land and it it was just absolutely when when I was a twenty five year old I first had ideas of like how these could probably be wondrous experiences to um to to get on these bike trips. That that was the day that I felt committed. I I basically said two bike trips I do, you know, because I wasn't sure what I was going to do with uh, this idea of, like, doing bike trips over a course of 48 states. But after that day, I just felt uh, whatever calling. I don't know exactly what the source of it is. I, I don't I don't know. I don't claim to have knowledge of what 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 makes me feel like that but but basically it it was basically life changing uh it, it was just an amazing experience it, it it went i think beyond what I could have even imagined as a wide eyed twenty five year old when I first uh came up with the idea that bike trips were probably pretty cool. I wouldn't be awesome. anywhere close to uh, a day like Okeem, Oklahoma on uh, September 7th, uh, 2012. <laughs> it was, it was, it just felt almost ridiculous how amazing it was, yeah. So, so that, uh, that, that's probably enough, right? I've had, I could go on and on about my recent experience, uh, going through Appalachia on this, uh, in the middle of the last trip, you know, Kentucky and then Tennessee and how I felt the spirit of all the generations that lived there before kind of transpired. I just, we're just captivated by that whole region also, uh, and the history of it and, um, the experience of the people to this day too that still live there, of course, that traced their lineages way back to those previous people and little grave sites sites pretty pretty sounding and looking creeks have been flowing God knows how long and right alongside mountains that I usually don't get to see in Louisiana and just big impact for me there too. Then I'll probably wind up I'm probably gonna wind up writing seven or eight pages on on that day too on on uh on the next books that are right, so 
Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, man. I, I could have done a lot well, worse. But I'm surprised I kept it down to that, that level right there, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much, man. And, uh, we'll have to catch yeah, you up. Thank you, Austin. I, I really appreciate but, you having me on. Just a really extraordinary guest that are, uh, really on top of a lot of important things out there and just that I really, uh, appreciate being included in that number. Hey, thank you. Totally. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you. And that concludes my interview with Steve Godfrey. It was really good to talk to him. Show notes and those images we were talking about can be found on the website. Let's go to space.com or ak5a.com. And we'll talk to you next week.